Maria. If your Bibles turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. You recognize the passage when you get the first 14 verses. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire, and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. 
And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What a story. And there are so many different directions we could go tonight, but we're focusing on worship in this series, and that's what we're going to do tonight. And we're looking at the setting or the conditions for worship. As we break this down tonight in the context of our, not only of our passive, but also in the setting of our series on biblical worship, what conditions do you need to have met in order for you to worship? Let that sink in for a moment. Does everything have to be just right? The right hymn song? The right offertory music? What is it? Now again, our focus is on worship, and tonight we're looking at conditions of the setting of biblical worship. In the study of the principles and methods of interpreting the text of the Bible, theologians call it hermeneutics. And there's a principle in hermeneutics known as the principle of first mention. Now, by the way, that's just a big word, but understand, all of us are called to apply hermeneutics. Second Timothy, rightly divide the word truth. Let me tell you, there's a lot of preachers that do not, do not rightly divide God's Word. And there are a lot of principles in hermeneutics, without a doubt. And by the way, the most important, and I couldn't resist saying this tonight, for Jason's benefit, in hermeneutics is to interpret the Bible literally when you can. For example, when Jesus, the Bible says he said 5,000 people, guess what? He fed 5,000. Don't try to allegorize it. Don't. Now, again, there are times you cannot. I realize I'm kidding with Jason. There are debates on what's, you know, what sometimes is literal and what is not. But a lot of people don't want to believe in miracles, so they try to either symbolize it, but anytime you can, you take it literal. But another principle is the principle of first mention. And what that means is it teaches that the first mention of a word... Or the first mention of a doctrine in the Bible usually determines its meaning throughout the rest of the Scripture. Let me give you an example. 
Uh, Egypt is first mentioned in Genesis 12, verse 10. Look what it says. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So we find out in that verse, there's a time of famine in Canaan. Abram leaves Canaan. He goes down to Egypt. And if you know the story, while he is there, Abram suffers spiritual loss and he brings about damage to his testimony. So when Egypt is first mentioned in the Word of God, it's mentioned in a negative light. And as a general rule, as a general rule, that's the way Egypt is perceived throughout the Word of God. There was a time God would tell Jacob, Israel, don't return to Egypt. Tonight we're reading in Genesis 22. And in verse 5, we have the first mention of the word worship. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. Now, I think I mentioned this this a couple weeks ago in our introduction to this series on worship, and we did state the fact that this is the first time the word worship was mentioned in the Bible, the actual word. But it doesn't mean it's the first time worship happened. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, In the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought out of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. So what were they doing? They had come to worship the Lord. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So what does that mean? Now again, Seth is the godly line, and uh, the line of Cain, the Cainites, was a line of debauchery. But in the midst of all of that, the family of Seth worshipped Yahweh. In Genesis 5, verse 22, the Bible says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Genesis 6, 9. These are the generation of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. 
And when the Bible speaks of someone walking with God, the idea here is it's describing a life of obedience and a life of faithfulness toward God. And it truly involves worship. And so it's clear from the Scripture that men and women have been worshiping God from the very beginning. From the very beginning of creation. But here in Genesis 22 and verse 5, it's the first time we see the actual word worship mentioned in Scripture. Now again, remember this. The law of first mention. And it teaches that the first mention of a word, our doctrine, determines its meaning throughout the word of God. So I'm praying that tonight and probably next week as well, if the Lord tarries, we're going to find out what does that mean. And the first thing we're going to find out is that this particular passage, these verses, describe the faith of Abraham, but also teaches us, I think, some very powerful truths about biblical worship. Now, that word worship, it means to prostrate, to bow down, to crouch, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech someone, to make obeisance, do reverence, make the stoop, before superior, to humble oneself before God. That's some strong talking dictionary, Hebrew dictionary. Now, it's interesting, here in Genesis 22, 5, he tells those young men, you stay here while I and the lad go yonder and worship. We sang about yonder this morning, didn't we, Jess? Okay. <laughs> go yonder and worship. Now, think about this. Abraham used that word, worship. I believe in the middle of the most difficult trial he ever faced. Isn't it true? And there is no doubt in my mind that Abraham was in the deepest valley of his life. And what surprises me He saw this experience as a time of worship. Wait here. Me and Isaac are going to go over there. And we are going to worship. So my prayer tonight is that we would realize The character, the condition, and the challenges of biblical worship. First thing I notice in our text tonight, our, our draw from this, is the source of worship. Abraham's worship was based on a clear word from God. Let that sink in. 
Verse 1, Genesis 22. God said unto him. Genesis 22, verse 2. And he said. So Abraham <coughs> finds himself immersed in the worship of Almighty God because God tells him exactly what to do. Verse 2, chapter 22. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and offer him there for a burnt offering. So he told him what to do. He also told him where to go. Verse 2 again. Get thee into the land of Moriah, upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So Abraham's worship was based on a clear word from God. Now remember the first mission principle. We should learn from that. True worship must always be guided by the Word of God. Always, without exception. And true worship is always in response to revelation. Don't miss that. So, true worship then, without a doubt, is always a matter of faith. Let me pause here and ask a couple questions. How many, and you don't need to raise your hand or respond out, but think about this. How many would think that Abraham understood what God was asking? I mean, understood the reason. You know he did. But true worship is always a matter of faith. Romans 10, verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Many, many years ago, um, my brother-in-law, quite a year, few years younger, him and part of his family had a, a gospel singing group. And uh, now they weren't necessarily, you know, on the radio and well-known and gospel music that way, but they were pretty good. And he told me one time they'd gone to a church, and almost every time when they'd gone, at the end of their concert or whatever they were doing, they would give an altar call. And he said to me one time, he said, this one church wouldn't let us do it. And at first I didn't understand why until I found out the reason. Because the word of God had not been preached. Now don't misunderstand me, okay? And if you've ever been to some of those concerts, 
before they sing the last song, they tell some kind of emotional story. Manipulate the crowd. And not only, but a lot of times the response is based on what story they told. Now, I'm not saying that group did that, but that happened a lot. But not only that, I've seen preachers do that. Amen? Trying to manipulate the crowd. But understand, genuine faith comes by hearing the Word of God. There's no other way. No other way. Why? Because God has revealed Himself to us through His Word. And we respond to that revelation, and we do it by humbling ourselves before Him and bowing down before Him in reverence and adoration and worship as adoring God. Week in and week out, there will be some who will go to their church and they take part in responsive reading, dead liturgies, empty formalism, and they call it worship. There are some who will go to their church, they will dance around, they'll lift their arms, speaking in an unknown language, faint away dead and call it worship. Some will go to their church, sit quietly in their pews, sing the songs, bow for prayer, Listen to the preacher and call it worship. But the question is, does any of those methods of assembly and doing church, do they really result in worship? And we need to understand, if we are going to worship the Lord... We've got to do it His way. We must do it His way. And the manner He's prescribed. And just because we are following traditions and customs of man doesn't make it worship. So what is genuine biblical worship? Genuine biblical worship is all that I am responding to all that God is. That is genuine biblical worship. And responding to all that God is, not how I think He is, but how He's revealed in Scripture. Revealed in Scripture. God's Word tells me He loves me. God's Word tells me He sent His Son to die for my sins. God's Word says He'll never leave me or forsake me. And God tells me He will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. God says He's my Father. We don't have time tonight to finish all the letter, right? And when I understand who God is, when I understand what God has done for me, I worship Him when I respond to His revelation with humility 
gratitude, and reverence. All that I am responding to all that God is. So I gave some examples a moment ago. So yes, that person in the emotional church, they can worship. The person in the formal church can worship. The person in the church like ours can worship. The key is the attitude of our heart. That's where worship begins. So genuine worship takes place when my spirit responds to God's revelation of himself in his word and I bow myself down before God in reverence, in love, and adoration. Jesus said this in John 4. You know the verse, verse 24. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, back to our text. The first thing I notice from Abraham is submission. And if we are going to worship God, there has to be submission. Because worship finds its roots in the Word of God. I want to tell you right now, I won't give you two cents for worship that's not found in the Word of God. It's not based on the revelation of God's Word. When my brother-in-law and sister were in Bible college, and Jeremy knows this to be a fact, they have chapel every day in most Bible colleges. But anyway, this one lady got up and testified, one, somebody in the chapel, one of the students, lady got up and testified. And, and my brother-in-law said, man, when she got in, there wasn't a dry eye in, in the house. I mean, it broke everybody's heart. But then later on they found out she was talking about a soap opera. And their worship was false. But it wasn't based on revealed word of God. So yes, the most of church can worship, all more church can worship, we can worship. It's the attitude of the heart. So genuine worship takes place when my spirit responds to God's revelation of himself in his word. And I bow before him. So again, submission to worship. Look, if you will. Now, I, you know, no matter how many times you go through a text, because the problem is most of the time you're looking for something, right? In particular, and you miss something. And I've been guilty of that. But as soon as Abraham heard God's command... He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, Lord, let me pray about this. The Bible says he responds in faith and he submits himself to the will of the Lord. Look at verse 3, chapter 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't wait. Verse 3 again. He saddled his donkey. 
Verse 3 again, he took two of his young men with him. Verse 3, and Isaac his son. Verse 3, Genesis 22, he split the wood for the burnt offering. Verse 3 again, he arose. And again, verse 3, he went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham's worship, and again, this is the first mention of the word worship in the Bible, was displayed in Abraham's humble submission to the clear word and will of God. Now again, I don't think Abraham, now he knew what God said. He heard the word. God had spoken Plainly to Abraham, no doubt, or Abram, nobody, no, Abraham, no doubt about that. But I still don't think Abraham fully understood. And and by the way, <clears throat> there's no doubt in my mind that his heart was heavy as he went about obeying the command of God. And I also believe that Abraham was troubled and confused. And yet the Bible says, Abraham did what God asked him to do, what God told him to do. So Abraham heard the word of the Lord. He submitted himself to that word. He humbly obeyed God. And that, my friend, is the essence of biblical worship. So first of all, worship finds its roots In the Word of God. But second of all, not only does it find its roots in the Word of God, it's rooted into what the Bible says. Obedience to what the Bible says. So hear me well. Anyone... Who does not obey the word of God cannot be a true worshiper. Amen. Tell me all you want. You can't. It's one thing to know what God says. But my friend, it's quite another to obey God. Even what God commands us and demands of us makes Absolutely no sense. And I want to tell you, it didn't make sense to Abraham. And what God called Abraham to do here was unparalleled. No one had ever been asked by God to do something like that before. And I have to tell you, folks, I have struggled with that for years. Why would Abraham do it? I mean, that you know, the Bible says when, when God called Abraham, Abraham said, Lord, here am I. That's one time I'd have wished I hadn't said that. Amen? Why would he do that? And by the way, one of the 
other principles of hermeneutics. Let the Bible interpret itself. Okay? And the reason Abraham obeyed God was because Abraham trusted God to do the right thing. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Let the Bible speak for itself. Hebrews 11, look, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Here's why he did it. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. How many know God does not go back on his promises? Amen. He had promised Abraham that it was Isaac who would be the seed, not Ishmael. It was Isaac. And in our context of our text, he didn't ask Abraham to sacrifice Ishmael. I want you to take your son, your beloved son, your only true son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him up. Abraham believed that God couldn't lie. Did he understand? Absolutely not. Was he confused? You know that he was. But Abraham trusted that God knew best. Lord, help me to trust you that way. Help me to trust you that way. He trusted God and he humbled himself by faith. And he said, Lord, I don't know, I don't understand. But I'm going to leave the consequences in your hands. In your hands. And my friend, that kind of faith, that kind of faith is a vital component of true biblical worship. Trusting God with the consequences. So even the smallest act of obedience to the Word of God is a form of worship. The Bible commands us to pray. Did you know when you pray it's a form of worship? You obey God. We're to read the Word of God. Sometimes we think it's a small thing to do, but it's a small form of worship. Hey, we're to tithe our money. It's a form of worship. We're to witness. It's a form of worship. We're to be faithful to God's house. That's a form of worship. And what's interesting, all of these things are things we ought to be doing anyway, and they are all acts of worship. But only when they are done out of a heart of love and humble submission to the Lord. They are then acts of worship. So we see submission of worship. Second thing in our text tonight is the sacrifice of worship. 
I think you can tell right away from our text, Abraham's worship wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap. In fact, Abraham's worship appears that it's going to cost him his precious son. Again, verse 2, 20, chapter 22. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, notice this, whom thou lovest. Do you think God knew how much Abraham loved Isaac? Do you think that God knew that Abraham doted on Isaac? Do you think that God knew that Isaac was the light of Abraham's life? I mean, he was a promised seed. A promise that God gave Abraham when he was 90 years old, but it didn't come to fruition until 10 years later. And Isaac was the most precious person in the world to Abraham. He was Abraham's dearest possession. But not only that, God had told Abraham, I will bless you through your seed. And you'll have a multiple in your family line, more than the stars of the sand of the seashore. And so Isaac represented all of Abraham's hopes for the future. And so for Abraham, Isaac was life itself. So God says to Abraham, I want you to take the most precious thing to you, and I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Worship for Abraham. Look at verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. The last part of that verse grips my heart. And we will come back to you. I don't know how you can say that. I don't pretend to understand that for sure. So when Abraham said, we're going to go over there and worship... We're going to go yonder and worship. He knew that true worship was going to require him to make the greatest sacrifice possible. And there's no doubt in my mind that Abraham's heart was wrapped up in Isaac. And yet Abraham willingly gave God the treasure of his heart. Because of the love Abraham had for God. Real worship is always costly. David knew that. There was a time in his life when he numbered Israel out of greed, or out of pride, I guess, and 
and God sent a plague. Thousands of Jews died. And finally, God stayed the angel's hand. And Abraham came upon the threshing field of Arana. And he said, I want to buy it from you. And Aaron said, no, you don't have to buy it. I'll, I'll just give it to you. Look what, Abraham, or what uh, David said in 2 Samuel 24. Then the king David said to Aaron, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to my Lord, to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. Worship is costly. So David buys the threshing floor. He buys the oxen. I don't know what shekels were. I swore money wise, but he paid 50 shekels of silver. He refused not to pay. We were in John 11 this morning. You may want to write this down, but John 12 comes next. And in John 12, Mary of Bethany do that. She sacrificed her pride. She sacrificed her glory, her treasure, just for the opportunity to worship Jesus. In Matthew 2, the wise men were rich, wise, powerful men, humbled themselves before the Christ child, and they worshiped him. They sacrificed their pride, their glory, their treasures, just to honor the Lord. My friend, through the ages, through the ages, millions have given all, some even their lives, as a sacrifice of worship for God's will. Worship is costly. And so when we come to worship, whether corporately or privately, we need to keep in mind worship is a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So yes, it always costs something to worship the Lord. It will cost us our time in spiritual preparation. And I want to tell you something, folks, and Jesse, you kind of touched on this morning a little bit. Nobody just walks in and goes right into worship. It takes spiritual preparation. It will cost time in Bible study because we must encounter truth before God can be really worshipped. Sometimes it will cost the loss of prestige. It will cost our acceptance with friends, with our family, society, and sometimes even the church. But I want to tell you something, folks. God's worship is worth more 
to me than having people praise me. I want to worship God. So real worship is a sacrifice. It requires submission. But my friend, it is a sacrifice worth making. And that's true. Because through genuine worship, God is honored. Let's stand again. Father, we love you tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of worship. So grateful, Lord, that we are allowed even to enter into your presence with the spirit of holiness. And I pray tonight that we won't focus just on the submission of worship or even the sacrifice of worship but that our focus will be on the privilege of worship, that you allow us to worship you. May it be done in spirit and truth. We will ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.